Thanks for joining us for another episode of Insecurity Theater, discussion series where a rotating panel of topical and regional subject matter experts discuss crime, security, and defense policy. We strive to take a lighthearted look at humanity's critical faults. If you like the show and want to help, rate us five stars on your podcast listening platform of choice. Don't like the show or think we're full of it? Give us that five-star rating and tear into us in the comments. If you'd like to get involved, contact us on our website at analyticasecura.com. Now, without further delay, please enjoy the show. Tonight with me on the show, I have my friends and former classmates, Tomas and Hugo, who both studied uh, East Asian studies, a track that I have no per- first-hand experience with. I may be able to find Asia on a map if I try. Uh, guys, would you mind telling me a little bit about what drew you to study that region of the world? Uh, Tomas. So, dude, I'll be pretty honest with you. I think when we were, before starting our uh, pre-masters, we were on that, um, we were kind of just checking the, the tracks, um, which specialization we would choose. And I was, I was seriously uh, thinking about going for the international security mm-hmm. just like you Conrad and uh, but then I, I just checked the, the East Asian studies a friend of mine had had been uh, to Beijing um, just a, as a, an Erasmus program as an exchange program and he told me wonders about it and he was saying to me dude if, if you have the chance because I, I was talking to him about uh, the several tracks we, we could choose and he said dude I think that that track looks very interesting. I mean, you, if you think 20 years from now, China is going to be uh, much talked about as it is being at the moment. Hmm. Um, and, and yeah, dude, I, I think like, well, heck it, let's take a chance, man. I saw, I saw a lot of people looking at that, <laughs> that international security track and only five <laughs> on the East Asian studies. And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We all piled into security, and uh, I don't know if it was the right decision. It sounds like you guys had a much better time. Now, what about you, Hugo? Same, uh, same uh, motivation? Yeah, it's a little bit the same. I just wanted to study international relations uh, for my master's degree. Uh, then I, I saw the tracks, and I was already interested in uh, East Asian cultures. Uh, having traveled there before just kind of sparked my interest. And uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I just thought, no, why, why not? That's good. It's good that you guys are following your hearts and not the crowd like I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of the discussion, especially about China, uh, not that we have to focus entirely because it's contextual, but uh, as you mentioned, I did focus on security, and certainly China has an important role both regionally and globally as far as a provider of, uh, secure, we call it security services. Uh, but what I'm more interested in talking about today is the soft power that China wields and Mm. how it's been potentially affected by the, uh, global coronavirus pandemic. Uh, on an earlier episode, we talked a lot about the cause, the causes, and the and the uh, cover-ups associated with that. So I don't want to spend too much time on that today. I'm really more interested in what you guys think uh, the world will look like when everything opens back up. Specifically, uh, how 
the world is going to potentially reconsider our relationships uh, with China in terms of uh, things like supply chain manufacturing. Uh, mm. So you can, you can start to go. <laughs> all right. If you need a leading well, question, a, I'm more a, than happy. It's a pretty big question. That, um, I mean, you know, it could go both ways, right? There could be a lot of companies uh, that think, oh, maybe we should relocate our supply chain into Latin America, for example. Um, on the other hand, I feel like no, people in general are very kind of, you know, they follow a habit. So I think when things reopen, they might just be like, ah, oh, let's, let's keep doing what we're doing and be a bit more cautious and maybe set some, some regulation in place for, uh, for these kinds of events. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's difficult, man. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do believe that one thing that we got a take that we we manage uh, from this pandemic or yeah this this whole situation that we're day by day uh, adapting to is um, just realizing that every basically the supply chain of the global supply chain is centralized in in China and man you do not want to have a global supply chain centralized in one country because as soon as that country as it did closes completely. And you're 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 taking a bad hit. I mean, if you look at our technology supply chains, our auto supply chains, our pharmaceutical supply chains, those are very big to just get get stuck on 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 you know on a on a country like China. I mean, you cannot import anything uh, because it's just in a halt. So I I think that one thing that businesses are preparing themselves to is just decoupling or or basically decentralized from from having all their entire supply chain. I mean, the manufacturing process and there's the the also the other parts of the, the supply chain, the value added parts, as 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 I would see on on pharma tech and uh, and the auto industry um, is is they they will have to rethink their their attitude towards uh, this decentral uh, towards this centralization and. And think on other countries to to shift their supply chains to. I mean, I think already some countries are are, are looking at Southeast Asia, mm. right? Countries like Vietnam, Thailand, uh, Cambodia. But uh, you have to realize that China has by far the best prices for finished goods. So, I mean, it's going to be it's not a short term thing. It's going to be a very long term thing. Like Hugo said, man, it's just like you're just used to having the infrastructure and the label uh, the the labor sorry and the productivity that china possesses and provides and that is just crazy man they're like the factory of the world so, mm. so yeah i mean we're, we're realizing in in terms of supply chains that it is urgent for that that decentralization the decoupling out of china is has to happen and i mean uh if I mean, I've, I've read some stuff and it's crazy. Like, I mean, I, India is the biggest producer of uh, paracetamol in the world. Mm -hmm. And now they're just ban basically just restricting all exports of drugs from the country. And I mean, what happens when you stock out, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're just so dependent on this global trade that you by far weren't thinking about this uh, kind of like isolationist policies. 
uh, as a risk factor, and now you're you you have to to put that as a factor, as a risk factor, is what happens if another pandemic appears and countries start restricting, limiting, uh, yeah, man, uh, drugs, uh, ing ingredients for drugs. Um, China and India are, I think, probably the biggest uh, pharmaceutical ingredients exporters in the world. And countries like the US and, and regions like Europe are so dependent on them that They'll have to rethink at least that part of, of supply chains, value-added chains. They have to be closer to home, you know. Uh, that's, yeah, that's what I see at the moment happening. And I imagine that due to the relationship between the ruling party in China and uh, the firms and, uh, and especially the big international supply chain participants and, and finished goods producers located in China... Uh, State's not going to like that very much to to watch the world reconsider its uh, connections. No. Do you think that there would be a uh, a response? A, a yeah, I mean, no, you understand. I mean, yeah, maybe not necessarily one hundred percent related to supply chains, but I think China always tries to. Uh, project a very you know good image of themselves right you were talking about self-power uh if we're looking at you know actually the, the fact that china has been uh you know silent about the coronavirus outbreak uh for a couple of weeks um and basically the world kind of blaming china for you know uh, acting too late and right now china is really doing a lot to yeah, kind of uh, project a better image again. Uh, talking about the health, uh, health road, health Silk Road. So supplying a lot of medical, uh, medical. How do you say that? Equipment. Medical medical equipment to to uh, the world, to Italy, for example. They were the first to supply a lot of medical equipment, um, and in that way, I think they are trying to sell themselves again as like the benefactor of the world in that in that sense. And of course, there were the headlines all over, at least Europe, if not globally, that blamed uh, China for exporting inferior or faulty or dangerous medical devices and tests and pharmaceuticals, especially within the last couple of months. Uh, now, I'm not sure as to the validity of each one of those claims of, of low-quality exports, but... That seems like it would detract from the building of that image, don't you think? Um, I mean, I think the the bigger picture here on terms of credibility of China is is more on the cover up. I think that's where countries are are trying to to look at and even push their international agenda, which uh, in China's view is completely outrageous, and they're being very nationalistic about it. Hmm. I mean. In China, in China, it's they, they're they're sh seeing themselves as, like Hugo said, through this medical Silk Roads, um, which is has to be another chapter of their Belt and Road Initiative. Um, I mean, they're 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 in their their point of view is that they're helping, you know, and and they did their best and they were transparent about uh, the the records they had and the the situation on how to handle the coronavirus, um, but international countries are not seeing it that way. 
And I think also, you if you if you I mean the rest of the world kind of follows follows uh, on the U.S. footsteps in in any international regard, uh, at least in Europe, and and currently the the you know the American uh, the Sino American the Sino U.S. relationship is is not the best, and it's I mean you see President Trump and uh, and all the other Chinese hawks <laughs> put it that way uh, just blaming China on the cover-up and 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 I think that's that's how how their credibility is being uh, challenged if mm. uh, I mean I think that I think the the faulty devices I think it's just it's just a minor factor on on because at the moment it's just people are just so uh, frenzy on on the demand of, of uh, medical devices and I, I mean masks um, for example that you know, everybody's just producing masks at an incredible rate and, and you cannot even regulate them because, I mean, medical devices do take their time to be regulated and then uh, checked. So I, I, I see it that way. I see it more as a, the, the credibility challenge uh, of, of the, the breakout and the cover-up uh, that the international community is trying to, you know, put their, their uh, the, the putting uh, the blame on, on China and uh, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's, you, you can never count on China to be 100% transparent. Uh, I mean, Australia and other countries are asking for full investigations on, on the outbreak on, on, and also on the, the Wuhan lab, as mm-hmm. many consider it uh, <laughs> a valid theory of, of, of being a human-made uh, virus. And, 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 and they just don't allow it and i mean if if you know china um yeah you, you would never they would never allow such a thing um but yeah so i mean i think that's the credibility challenges that they're facing and and it's i'm seriously i don't I, i'm not seeing how it will you know um i think this is like a, a face-off that is going to be hard to to settle down especially also if you consider the u.s trade war with with china which just amounts to the to the already uh, difficult times that China is, is facing in that in that aspect, without drawing too many parallels, because that's I find that to be generally a foolish thing for me to do. Uh, I'm reminded of the fall of the Soviet Union for a combination of reasons, some of which were economic, some of which were uh, were just simply uh, a desire for change. Could an event like this not necessarily the present, but in the case of further um, international embarrassments, perhaps, or however you'd like to classify events like this pandemic, could this push change within China, such like we saw during the collapse of the Soviet Union? Um, I think like the international sphere for China is of a lesser importance than their domestic sphere. And uh i don't see the the crisis right now having a real effect on on china's policies that much i think if you want to want to see how china will change their policies you should look at the structural challenges they face in their domestic politics like uh unemployment rate going up um economic growth slowing down uh, and then because yeah i mean the crisis in the chinese eyes i imagine that 
you know, they've done a pretty decent job of just locking the country down and mm-hmm. quickly getting rid of the virus uh, for the most part. And I think the Chinese, well, the Chinese people, I mean, it's difficult to generalize all of them, but I think mm-hmm. the <laughs> the general view would probably be that the CCP did a good job and that, you know, in uh, in getting rid of the virus. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. I mean, uh, it's it's if you want to have some, uh, let's say, internal disruption of, of from, from on China, just like you had on on the Soviet Union when it f- fell, um, it's it's you. I mean, it's it has to be like huge. I, if you and you have to think like Google said on domestic factors, like an increasing middle class that will be unsatisfied in the longer term because of. Uh, economic stagnation. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, also other other aspects that you at the moment they do not have because, like Google said, it's they took pretty well uh, internally the, the the pandemic. They controlled it very well. I mean, if you look at data from from China. I mean, obviously you you have to be skeptical on the numbers because I mean having close de- as 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 many or even less deaths than Belgium who has like seven million people <laughs> is is you know it's you have to reconsider the numbers in the future now but they they might um they might change them uh with more investigation uh, internal investigation but if you look at it in in general i think china did a very decent job containing the virus uh, internally and that's how they see it uh, if you look at China now, they've reopened their economy, so the economy is pumping again. Uh, they're back to work. Uh, new cases appeared in Wuhan, and they're promising a million tests. Hmm. Uh, basically, they're they're going to test everybody in Wuhan um, in four days. I mean, if there's one country that can pull that off, it's China. And and so internally, I don't see this situation as being even as affecting uh, the CCP. Uh, by far, by far, um, and yeah, if it's it's like Hugo said, the mess, it's the domestic policies that matter if you want to see a shift in 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 power in China, and I just you just don't see that coming any 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 year close. And you mentioned that the growing middle class is a major factor uh, potentially in the future uh, as a catalyst for national political change, uh, if there is a global shift away from treating China as uh, a global factory and therefore reducing the effectiveness of uh, the types of industries that have made China such a a powerful economy up to this point. Uh, Do you think that 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 will push the Chinese economy towards more of a consumption-based or more of a service-based and away from uh, from global production and perhaps put people on track to continue to enter this middle class and therefore slowly change their minds uh, regarding the ideal society that they want around them. Yeah, I think, I mean, if a lot of businesses decide to uh, decentralize their supply chains and move away from China, then that will be a really big problem for them because uh, I don't 
I don't think right now at this point they have the everything set in place uh, to to go away from manufacturing into maybe more a surface-based economy. Um, yeah, I mean the biggest telltale is maybe that the big part of the Chinese economy is uh, our state-owned enterprises. Um, you know they like to keep control over their companies. Uh, but the part, the private companies that exist in China, they they really drive the economy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they need to structurally change everything if they want to, if they want to move away from a manufacturing-based uh, economy. So that might be a real big problem if that happens. I I also I I mean, I think that countries will start obviously to decentralize or decouple their supply chains out of China, but uh don't forget that i mean it will still it it still it will be a big part of 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 china exports um because it's just seriously this shift is just massive because you you don't forget that the global trade is so interdependent that even in the most extreme point point uh, of of uh, a result of this coronavirus as being as the creation of more isolationist policies of countries that will bring closer to to home the the supply chain, uh, at least in in the the biggest on the the most valuable um, chains at least. Um, it it's just hard to to I mean to just shift away from China and that will still be I mean obviously. Uh, the, the Chinese economy will suffer if you st- start seeing a huge shift of uh, out of China, uh, basically uh, debulking this huge centralization that you have of supply chain. Um, I, and I mean, there's already con- um, companies doing it. Big tech, uh, American big tech is already moving out of China and going towards more, uh, like, like I said, more uh, towards more um, to Southeast Asian uh, countries. But... Uh, the matter of fact is that those countries are still very reliant on China. Uh, for example, Vietnam still imports a lot of raw materials from mm-hmm. China. And I mean, you, you, you can move the manufacturing process, but you cannot uh, move the, the component sourcing mm-hmm. um, out of uh, China. And that, I mean, the manufacturing process uh, is still a big part of uh, the Chinese economy. And in terms of exports, they will suffer. But it's already I, I, I do see already China as being uh, in the midway of becoming a consum- uh, consuming uh, uh, society. And, and so um, and like Hugo said, I mean, big companies in China are still very state owned, still very state controlled. I do believe that after this um, uh, crisis, they will restructure as they were already doing their, their financial uh, structure. Because it was just not viable uh, in the long term. I mean, Chinese the the financial system was very dependent on on state-owned um, companies, and like Hugo said, the private companies are what what kind of drives um, the economic growth of China at the moment. So they're already moving towards a more consumptionist uh, society. But I still do believe that this this shift will take long enough for 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 China to implement uh, as to become a consumptionist uh, society, and 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 I mean and I I do I do see America quickly 
moving away from China, but I don't see, for example, Europe uh, moving away from China because you just don't have um, a, a solution near uh, near shore. Uh, I mean, near closer to closer to home, I'd say, because mm. you cannot count on uh, the infrastructure and labor productivity of northern uh, or even Eastern Europe. So, mm. I mean, you're very much dependent on China. And then, and so I, I don't see, I'm not, not seeing China going anywhere uh, in, in the near future. And in the long term, it will just be more of a precautionary um, um, situation of, of decoupling from China, but not totally, because, uh, I mean, ch the Chinese are just very, as a competitive edge, it's just very hard to to mm -hmm. to to reach a, a country that is even similar to to China. So, I mean, yeah, I think in the long term, with this shift that will occur uh, on the supply chains, I think China will manage to catch up on 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 becoming on shifting their their society from uh, manufacturing processing um, society to more consumptionists. One of the other, uh, speaking of Europe specifically, uh, one of the other China critical uh, sentiments that I'm aware of is a mistrust of the capability of Chinese uh, tech companies to administer data in a trustworthy manner. And that is both uh, data storage and the infrastructure, perhaps built and administered by Chinese tech corporations, that uh, relays data f around the, the world. Uh, I know that the U.S. government is highly skeptical of the security of Chinese-made high-tech products insofar as uh, we won't allow them to be used in government buildings. You mentioned that Europe doesn't have doesn't have the same array of choices that the US does in this way but uh, do you think that that lack of trustworthiness may also uh, hinder the Chinese ability to expand to continue to expand its uh, its market share of global high tech I think maybe at least in Western Europe it will be more difficult uh, I think the countries are very skeptical of for example having Huawei uh, um, you know, construct their 5G broadband networks because of, yeah, just uh, the issue of privacy. But I think in like in Eastern Europe, uh, like the, the former Soviet Union uh, countries, China has a, a, a really good relation with them. And I, I believe that those countries look to the European Union more as, um, you know, with a kind of, um, uh, yeah, they're just a, they don't. They don't look at the European Union in in a in a very positive way anymore, and they look more towards China for for uh, for for infrastructure projects, for example, for and maybe also for for technological uh, improvements. Yeah, I, I I I mean, I see it. Uh, the way I see it is, um, it it will be also. This will will also be a deal breaker for 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 Europe. Uh, controlling uh, Eastern Europe, like Hugo said, because Eastern European countries, uh, I mean, all in, inside the EU, uh, if you look at hung uh, Hungary and or Poland, 
they have um, quite some uh, Chinese influence already in their in their countries. Uh, Hungary, probably the biggest one. But if even even in the Western countries, I mean, people do think that Eastern European countries are are the only. I mean, the only reason uh, people look to Eastern uh, European countries in in a more uh, dubious way of or, or of in 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 terms of. Uh, Keeping promise to to the European um, project is that they're probably not as solid uh, democratically speaking as Western countries because Western countries do have a lot of uh, Chinese investment, uh, mm. foreign di- foreign direct investment in China uh, of, of Chinese foreign direct investment mm. in Europe is way bigger in the Western in the Western side than in the Eastern. But um, that's what Hugo said. They are more way more reliable towards the Chinese than to the Europeans when it comes to this, um, I mean, big packages of aid, uh, infrastructure-wise is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that after this virus, uh, the EU will come stronger uh, than it was, than it started to uh, at uh, the start of this pandemic because uh, things were not uh, going uh, in, in, in a unilateral way, let's say. I mean, every country was doing whatever they wanted to mm-hmm. um and you know i think this nobody was expecting this i mean uh, it was already three months into china uh being locked down and people were still partying in, in europe but um but i mean uh i think in terms of high tech Ch- the chinese want do want to to keep their dominance on on you know uh 5g the 5g race and uh, mm-hmm. all and others and 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 it is true that in terms of 5G, China, the Chinese companies like Huawei are way ahead of American and European countries um, companies. Sorry, but mm-hmm. um, I think Europe will start to move towards a more uh, autonomous um, state of mind in terms of 5G and high tech um, uh, on and others such as Internet of Things and artificial intelligence because. We do have in Europe, in giving the, uh, the example of Europe, we do have two um, companies that are already on the 5G race. That's Nokia and Ericsson. And mm-hmm. I think I think in terms of vital security infrastructure, the European the European Union will uh, pressure countries to to opt for uh, those those companies and not Huawei. Uh, here in Portugal, where we had uh, recently the announcement of the uh, ah, what's it called? Um, do, 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 do. Well, yeah, we're, we're going to have... Uh, <laughs> uh, um, let me just check very quickly, sorry. Yep. Then you edit this. <laughs> um, an auction. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so in, oh, we're having an auction <laughs> about the uh, 5G um, network. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, companies, uh, tech companies, uh, telcos, sorry will will uh, bid for space in in the 5g networks um and uh, 5g spectrum that is and um, the european union is already saying that you know don't be reliant on only one company for infrastructure mm. choose various like just don't think about it and i think this is clearly a, a shot at at uh, chinese companies because i mean uh, there's, there's, there were news about the uh, African Union headquarters that was built by the Chinese that they were being spied on. So, mm-hmm. I mean, mm. that's the way I see it. 
it's news to me, and it's it's good to hear that there are still remains some European manufacturing of uh, telco infra- infrastructure in this way, and it's not completely uh, reliant on imports. Um, I was interested by your assessment that Europe is likely to grow stronger as a result of having gone through this hardship together. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree, though I I am influenced by some of the anti-European sentiment that I've seen around me here in Spain and elsewhere in uh, in Southern Europe, which seems to, minus Portugal, have been... Uh, have felt a little bit hung out to dry. Um, why is it that you're so convinced that Europe will find um, cohesion out the other end of this? Uh, I mean, I, I've, I think, and Hugo being Dutch, this is going to be <laughs> really interesting <laughs> because the financial minister, uh, the finance minister of um, of the Netherlands was criticizing heavily the way we we were uh, managing our money in the South. And mm-hmm. uh, after yeah. that, there was a lot of uh, backlash from, and I think it uh, came as an initiative from the, the Portuguese uh, prime minister that we, that, you know, this was not a time of uh, pointing fingers, but the time to become uh, united. And as, as a result, we managed to, you know, the, uh, uh, European finance ministers managed uh, to to debate and see a, a solution uh, for for this pro- how to handle the problem in in inter- in a European uh, the European way, and we managed to to provide aid. Now we're we're gonna have aid European aid aid to the most affected countries, those being mostly uh, southern. But do not forget that I think in general all European countries will suffer hugely. I mean, if you look at Germany, uh, their GDP is uh, looking at like a decrease of seven points, percentual mm. points, you know, and and Portugal near. I mean, Greece will suffer a lot. Like, uh, I think the, um, I think the, the, the statistics or, or the, the, yeah, the, what we're looking at is is just in general a huge uh, GDP decline and across all across Europe. Um, obviously, Spain and Italy will suffer the most. Uh, but you, what you're seeing is that although we're seeing a more populist rise in Europe, <laughs> the truth of uh, of the fact is, at the end of the day, you will kind of you kind of depend on on Europe. If you look at, for example, yeah, China and Europe uh, are the biggest trading partners. But then if you look at each European country, their biggest trading partners are European, mm-hmm. you know. So I think I do I do see it that way. I do see it that Europe will realize uh, that they cannot live anymore uh, uh, apart. Uh, and they, they will have to go through uh, with this union. I, and I, I hope seriously that mm-hmm. this will make reform on... on on the European Union, as a in in ma- in, I think sectors that do matter a lot. I think I think uh, Angela Merkel was already um, thinking of trying to introduce during the German presidency of the United uh, of the European Union um, a medical uh, a medical a European medical uh, health system. So I mean that's that's a big step, and I hope I mean there's a lot of things that are not working at the moment in 
in in Europe, for example, the fiscal union is just mm. existent, and I think that that is a matter that must be taken into consideration uh, because. For example, if you look at um, the stock market of Portugal, the perceived, uh, I mean, 10, 10, of, <laughs> of 10 of our biggest companies all have their headquarters outside Portugal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there's, Europe will not go away anytime soon. Uh, uh, I think this coronavirus is just actually a, a very, uh, uh, you know, um, a good way to bring back together that European Union feeling that was sliding uh, in 2009 with all this populist sentiment that we were seeing across Europe. But, um, but I mean, challenges, uh, I think reform needs to be taken into consideration uh, very seriously when, when we're thinking about European future. And I mean, if, if, uh, if it's a start to, uh, you know, start to increase our uh, competitiveness uh, in regarding um, Chinese companies, American companies, even, uh, mm-hmm. and if it, this is the way to do it, then be it. You know, just start using what is regional in 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 very sensitive situ- sectors like this this five G infrastructure. What do you think, Hugo? Um, I mean, I agree that it will be very. I mean, the European Union has done some some things like, uh, you know, the financial ministers have come together and made, made this plan to to help uh, the southern European countries. Um, and yeah, at first that was a uh, that wasn't really good, uh, you know, good governance, maybe on part of the, the Netherlands as well. I mean, being a bit harsh and pragmatic about the whole situation. Uh, <laughs> I like the Dutch are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, to be honest, the. the I, I kind of feel like the Eurosceptic sentiment will will only grow a bit more after this uh, among the population and and yeah reform of the European Union will really be needed because I mean right now I don't really have the the feeling that the EU is is uh, coming together to to battle the the Corona crisis together every country is is kind of on its own and I mean of course among countries there's some cooperation. Um, but I think, for example, a lot of uh, Southern Europeans might now look at the Northern countries like the Netherlands as, uh, you know, not really cooperative. Whereas Italy, for example, got a lot of uh, aid from China and, you know, their relationship is, is growing in a way. Um, so I'm not sure if we're, we're going to come, come out stronger in the EU. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can see some danger in the provision of aid. So after all of this is done, uh, if aid money generally flows from the north to the south as it has traditionally, um, I mean, I can imagine that that's going to fuel some resentment on both sides. Uh, yeah. Perhaps, I mean, uh... well, even if, it's, even if it does lead to assist the reconstruction of the absolutely destroyed economies in Southern Europe, and of course, there's damage to economies in in Europe as a whole and in Northern Europe. But um, but this kind of cyclical pattern of aid provision and reception is something that I certainly uh, I have not seen received well in my discussions with uh, Italians, Greeks, or even those from uh, newly integrated countries. It's not. Um, it, it's not such a great thing, and it's it's 
kind of always in the background when other issues are discussed. That's my take. Yeah. And I also, also from a Northern European uh, viewpoint, I think there are a lot of people here that um, have the feeling that they only give to the European Union, like they give to, for example, to Greece when they, they went bankrupt. Um, <laughs> I don't agree with these people, but a lot of them are of the opinion that, yeah, we're just giving away our money to the EU why, to, for, to Greece mm. and for what? I mean, what have they done for us? Uh, that's kind of their idea. And then uh, something like this, this aid during Corona crisis as, as well, like uh, a lot of the Dutch people were saying like, yeah, why, why do we have to pay for Italy? Um, you know, uh, why is that our responsibility? Uh, so there are a lot of sentiments here that the EU is not really helping us, but we're rather helping the EU in a way. Uh, we, I don't agree with that, uh, mm-hmm. that sentiment, but I think that, that's growing yeah i mean i think i think i have an opposite view about it i mean yeah there's there's always this northern versus southern uh yeah this 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 kind of relationship that you have in the eu but and and i think countries the first thing citizens of any european country point out is always the worst things and the more superficial things about the eu is yeah we're paying the southern uh, more than they are giving us and we're always they're always needing our support in times of crisis but i think just they they forget that how dependent there are uh, of uh, not only southern countries but also central european countries hmm. uh, i mean <laughs> seriously if you take uh, czech republic poland from from europe i mean what would happen to Germany man they're mm-hmm. so dependent on them and 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 I mean if you look at the Netherlands they're they're the Netherlands people forget that the Netherlands is a tax haven in Europe mm-hmm. and there's so much money from uh, other European uh, companies flowing into into the Netherlands you know that then people forget about these things I mean the Netherlands the Dutch are the biggest agricultural exporters of uh, if you, in Europe and at the same time other countries are being subsidized uh, in their agricultural sectors, you know, to don't to not compete with uh, with countries such as the Netherlands and probably other countries that also export high amounts of uh, uh, in the agricultural sector. But these are things that people never uh, relate. But at the end of the day, is it it happens what what just happened? I mean, I think uh, you will have. Uh, grants definitely the finance ministers of Europe already uh, conceded on that that mm. you will have grants to the most badly hit uh, countries in Europe and then you uh, um, and then also you can have uh, also some not only grants but also some other other financial instruments that will um, help um, I mean aid uh, southern countries mm-hmm. uh, just like you had in 2000 and in the 2008 financial crisis, but I, I don't think it will uh, be as severe. Um, but but then and then I think you will I think what countries European countries will look after is the situation in the UK that uh, recently left um, the European Union and uh, they'll see what will happen when you leave the EU and uh, and you know when in in times of need they cannot. Uh, rely on on the EU anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's no. how, that's how I see it. I mean, 
yeah, you have a lot of populist sentiment growing. And even in Portugal, which is uh, to our generation really strange because we had uh, for 48 years a, a dictatorship and and populist sentiment just faded away for, for at least 50 years. And now it's coming back. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're uh, Portugal is so dependent on the EU, mm. you know, that any populist sentiment, at least in the southern part of uh, Europe, will just yeah just go away easily. On the northern part, uh, like the Netherlands, yeah, I I bet that it it can grow, but um, yeah, ultimately they will not. I mean, everybody is very interdependent in in the European region. Yeah, so I agree. That's how it goes. I, I agree with that, and uh, I agree that. Uh, a lot of people don't take into consideration the importance of the EU and what it means mm-hmm. for their country just because they maybe they don't know or they don't understand. Uh, I just think that in spite of that, people will still be very Eurosceptic uh, because, of, uh, because of this, basically. I think it, it doesn't really matter uh, in how far the EU is important to the country if the populist can get into the minds of the people, you know? Yeah, I think, I think although one thing that we, we will, will look in the future after this uh, pandemic is how, that's, and that's my take, it's how uh, the, Europe, the European Union will start to uh, take more uh, sovereign powers uh, from yeah. European countries. For example, the, in, the, in the health sector. Um, the way you'd handle a pandemic um, is at the moment uh, pretty much sovereign. You know, any country does uh, what they prefer. But I think in the future you'll still you'll start to see a much more assertive position of the European Union uh, for countries to follow. And 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 that is part of the domino effect that the European Union, at least project initial project, was uh, would hope it would um, it would. Uh, create would be this domino effect on on just taking uh more responsibilities and and take having more power and more 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 direct power uh in the european countries and i think in the health sector you're going to start to see uh much more uh european influence and ultimately countries will lose their their sovereignty their sovereignty in that in that aspect um and that will just make the european union project just stronger uh, I think that's something that you we will consider after after this pandemic will fade, and um, I mean yeah, from there on you can just create more even more uh, uh, possibilities of of European power in 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 terms of um, having more more having uh, of of making countries more dependent uh, on European Union uh, directives and and. And regulations and less on the nationalist uh, on the on a national level but i think that will just be another point for the populists to uh to use right because yeah, i don't well, yeah yeah but for example take and we will by by that's i mean i'm not i'm not saying that the populist sentiment will just go away but i think <laughs> people i hope people will look at how uh, populist regimes that started to grow uh, are are dealing with um, their with dealing with this pandemic. Uh, take Brazil for example. Hmm. I mean, hmm. their president is just straight out, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's just an undercover dictator, man. I mean, I mean that's a a dictate, 
a dictator uh, or a authoritarian sea, you know, it's like just a mist of authoritarianism and democracy, man. It's just crazy. And 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 the way he's doing it, it, it will just <laughs> ruin the country. Um, it will take a bad hit. And I think when you have a nationalist that cannot preve- uh, prevent uh, uh, the protection of uh, national uh, hmm. uh, national. Uh, key uh, issues then you know why bother having a nationalist at all uh take 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 uh, if you take if you look at for example china and in a parallel universe (laughs) and the ccp would handle this pandemic horribly you know and would just would not care like they're doing it in brazil Hmm. i think that domestic uh, sentiment of um, that domestic sentiment would change uh, on, on looking at the ccp and that would create uh, a disastrous um, that could could uh, could you know could make uh, the CCP uh, fall. But if if you look at how nationalist countries are, are uh, engaging on this pandemic and now they're protecting their own citizens, it's just terrible, man. And and I think I hope populist sentiment will will suffer from that. Well, a pandemic is a it's really kind of a unique catastrophe because. You know, we've seen states react well to conventional military threats, things like that. That's certainly the way that the United States is set up to uh, to best protect itself. And we've seen our we the U.S. have seen ourselves suffer greatly, perhaps as a result of uh, of rejecting authoritarian measures to contain. But it's um, it's really driven this sentiment among the American people that any attempted response is in direct opposition to democratic principles and is therefore uh, unacceptable. And it seems like that is some of the same rhetoric that's being shared uh, around Brazil and perhaps some more nationalistic nations in uh, in Europe. Um, yeah, I mean... Just the fact that China went on lockdown and, I mean, European countries didn't really think that through. Like, oh, if China is on lockdown right now, it means that a lot of people will already have traveled to Europe and maybe we should also consider doing this. But I think just because China is an authoritarian regime, we, uh, like in a democracy, uh, you wouldn't really think, oh, I mean, that's also a possibility here. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's... Uh, a big reason for for countries to not go on a lockdown, for example, because it's kind of in uh, yeah, it, it's not it's not uh, going it's going against the democratic principles. Yeah, I, I think we have. I mean, we. I think the U.S. is just um, just very different from Europe. Hmm. I mean, seriously. I think as soon as I started uh, meeting more Americans. I always had the idea that Europe and the U S were pretty much the same, but as soon as I started meeting some Americans and and how I see America, uh, Americans, uh, behavior in, in the pandemic, it's just, we, we are totally different. And I think, I think a a big difference, this, I I don't have, I don't think it has to do with, um, the, I don't think it has to do with a violation of democratic rights because I mean, most democratic constitutions, see uh, uh give power to countries when uh when in need and this is a, a situation i mean that's how mm. you can have uh, a lockdown and a state of emergency that would provide um countries powers to behave on on 
that way to take rights from people in order to provide a better duty uh, and to provide uh, a better uh, social uh, duty to, towards its citizen. Uh, that's part of democracy. But <laughs> the thing is that Americans has, are just hyper-capitalist, you know. <laughs> it's not a pandemic that will shut down the economy, man. It can't be. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's, that's the way I, I see it in, in America. I think it's, um, it's, more, it's more about uh, not a violation of democracy. It's more a violation of capitalism. Hmm. And, 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 and that's, uh, for example, take the, the, the behavior of Elon Musk, man. It's, you mm-hmm. know, Elon Musk tweets, like, just give people their rights and and the way you see um the the protests uh in in the u.s is all on that side of i want to work and and like we just don't want to have this economy shut down completely and create huge losses to to the country well, uh, let's not forget yeah. that uh for many americans a huge millions and millions of people losing their primary source of income, especially if they're, uh, if it comes from an entrepreneurial, uh, venture, which is, I think, more, more popular in the United States. If your business goes under because the government has, has forced you to shut down, that's your life. And there's no, there's no restitution that could possibly be paid to you that would make you even from all of that. And so I think that there's a, a significant pressure in the minds of Americans that if we are to accept these kinds of extreme measures, we know that there are costs associated. We know that people are going to lose their homes and their jobs and their uh, and perhaps they're, they're going to, uh, this will irreparably damage their lives. And it's Quite, quite easy to ask the question, you know, is it really worth everybody taking that loss for the potential of saving a fraction of a percent more people than those who, who might die? And I don't want to bring numbers into this because whether the mortality rate is, is more or less than 1% is almost irrelevant. Certainly on the micro level, uh, if you're asking somebody whose business is not is simply not able to survive being forcibly shut down for six or eight weeks. Uh, it had better be a, a pretty big deal in their eyes in order to justify that loss. Yeah, well, I think I think if I, I don't I don't think that uh, for example I do I, I look at the, the American labor market as highly dynamic and super ultra flexible, you know, and and I think Americans are uh, used to to this. Uh, lack of protection from from their government and there i mean just look at how europeans are covered in terms of um and employment benefits and even social social benefits and the americans are not but um i i think i think this is too early to 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 see how how uh which country best handled the situation because this is the first time that we're facing uh a pandemic uh in in the global scale and so nobody knows exactly who acted best. Um, I mean, if I, probably 20 years from now, uh, looking back at how countries dealt with this pandemic, I mean, probably uh, the the way the U.S. did was uh, the best out of all, you know. Um, but the thing is that it. I, I think I think that 
the, the American the American government is already providing uh, the liquidity in the short term. Uh, I mean, Fed is already buying corporate bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump is already pr- providing grants to 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 the unemployed. Uh, you're having you're having uh, record high um, unemployment percentages, mm-hmm. but there are also those. I think there are also the temporary jobs, you know, that are uh, being hardly hit. As you're having it in in Europe, uh, you're going to have high high unemployment percentages in southern countries, also because they're very dependent on temporary contracts. Um, but I, I I'm not. Uh, I would say I, I don't have a lot. Of information on this side to to discuss it uh, deeply, but that's the way I see it. I don't I I I see that how the U.S. is handling it is out of their idea of uh, capitalism and 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 the way that they just want to keep the economy uh, grow and not more as a concern of uh, not having. Um, I mean, it's obviously that you know having a, a wage at the end of the month is 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 good. But for example, the, don't forget that in temporary jobs in in the U.S., a lot of uh, unencountable money coming mm-hmm. from tips, for example, mm-hmm. uh, is part of the the wage. And 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 the way I see it is it's it's more the the attitude towards this pandemic is more on a on a um, let's not shut down entirely the the economy uh, because. I mean, we're not even considering at this moment the 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 losses and the stress levels that are building up and the indirected deaths that will be accountable in the future about this pandemic of shutting down the economies of hmm. of uh, not allowing operations to go through and et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way I see it. I see it in a more capitalist way the 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 approach of the the u s rather than um, rather than this this idea of um, yeah, I, just, I might. I don't want to lose my job because of this pandemic. Hmm. Yeah. And maybe the point that you brought up about European societies having more built-in safety nets, and the fact that uh, a huge percentage of Americans do not have enough savings to survive a significant emergency like this, perhaps that. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, what's what's the? I mean, I I think it's like what. In average, Americans have like 400 euros for 100 dollars. Oh yeah, and uh, and that's average, and that's considering that um, <laughs> that half of them have nothing or are in significant debt. Which, of course, exactly. the debt continues to grow regardless of a person's ability to uh, pay off the interest or pay into the principal. Uh, and our our uh, direct payment uh, bailout, having mostly been already received, a, a single. A uh, lump sum of twelve hundred dollars. Thank you, uh, thank you, President Trump, for that. I, I got my check. It has his name on it. Um, <laughs> that's. I'm not going to lo- look a gift horse in the mouth. That's a little bit inconsequential if it doesn't cover your uh, expenses for one month out of a three, four, five, six month uh, period of disrupted employment. Um, and of course, most of the bailout money has gone to purchasing corporate bonds, and and essentially has gone to the top, and not down to uh, to the people who are perhaps most suffering. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm also very afraid that the next SARS or COVID or whatever pandemic 
wherever it originates, maybe it will originate in China, statistically likely, could originate in the Middle East like MERS did. I'm worried that the world will develop a flinch and will perhaps overreact the next time for fear of appearing uh, appearing not to have reacted properly as many states are criticized to today during this pandemic. And are we going to live in a world where the where we just shut down for six months a year every time every time we get sick? Can we sustain ourselves in that way? Well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, countries and and institutions institutions will really think about how to manage uh, another outbreak, right? Hmm. So I I hope that in in you know, in, in those, uh, you know, regulations, uh, some sort of measure will be, uh, t- you know, will take into account this, this flinching reaction. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah, but you might be right. Maybe some countries are afraid of, uh, you know, being too late, so they might overreact. I'm not sure what's worse, if they overreact or underreact. So yeah. I don't know. And I'm not sure if anyone's going to learn a lesson because we only have this one data point and everyone is only going to have been exposed to the lifestyle effect that their country or that their region has imposed on them. So it doesn't, this doesn't seem like a good natural experiment if we're trying to learn the best way to counter a pandemic. And I don't think that the second, if this is the first, which of course there are historical pandemics before this, but if this is the first, I don't think that the second is going to go any better as a result of not having learned uh, learned best practices. That's my prediction. But yeah. um, Don't you take into consideration the fact that on the next pandemic, you already have the experience that you managed to take from this current one? Only if we are we as a global population are able to uh, measure and compare the effect of our responses but there are certainly a lot of variables um yeah. i mean i would be afraid that if everyone that if the world largely decides that china had the right approach by uh locking everybody in their homes immediately and and completely uh converting an entire region into a giant prison perhaps you could make that uh, that argument if that's found to be the most effective procedure then that's that'll be un- completely unlivable in parts of the world where we have things like uh, individual liberty uh, and likewise if we <laughs> if we look to Sweden as an ideal as I tend to as uh, today uh, Sweden had very lax no no lockdown and simply absorbed the uh, the effect to the population that they received from virus infection cases. Well, that's, um, that didn't work out very well for Spain in the early days of the virus. And Spain's largely older uh, population suffered greatly. Uh, and so I, I just don't trust our collective analytical capabilities to determine the best, uh, the best, the best practice from only one iteration of the experiment. No, I think it'll it'll have to happen three or five or ten times before we have an idea of how to deal with it. But there will never be one best practice for all countries, right? I mean, right. 
Yeah. Each country has to look at their own experience and I yeah. mean, what, exactly. what, yeah, I'm not, I think uh, countries will take a lesson from this. And yeah. I think the problem is maybe, yeah, globalization and the connectivity between countries is really, is maybe kind of calling for a globalized effort to, to counter a pandemic. But in the end, we're all still different countries with different principles and ways of living so mm -hmm. yeah that, that's a, a bit of a of a of a friction point maybe yeah. alex I mean, you could, sure. you could never sorry sorry Conrad. i mean you could never have the approach that sweden is taking in in portugal spain or italy mm -hmm. just forget it people i mean you have i'll tell you why they're way uh, more socially distant than we are mm -hmm. uh they don't share uh, like we do uh, houses between older generations and newer generations. I mean, the average um, the average uh, age of a Portuguese, a Spaniard, or an Italian, I would say pretty much very close, is mm -hmm. about 29 years old to leave from their parents' house, you know? Yeah. Um, if you take that approach into, for example, countries that are highly populated and have bigger bigger families that that will not w couldn't be possible as well and also don't forget that in sweden they already had you know, they're the, the the country with uh more used to working from home uh, mm -hmm. in comparison to other countries so i mean their approach is unique uh if you look at neighboring countries like norway and and finland they didn't take the same approach or denmark they didn't take the same approach um and 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 I think at at the end of this pandemic, I think you'll see countries better, but better, much prepared, uh, much better prepared. Sorry for uh, pandemics. Uh, for example, uh, ICUs will have higher, um, will have more amounts of ventilators. Uh, intensive care units will be uh, bigger. Will be more responsive to uh, possible pandemics in the future. Um, and you'll have. A lot of research <laughs> I've, because because this this was if, if you if you take into consideration the amount of pandemics that you're having um, in this uh, decade and, and on the past decades it's much higher than the others we already had uh, mm. and so it just this is just gonna happen more often and more often uh, but at the same time you you like you said I mean after this pandemic it will get better the next pandemic it will get better and the following and so on and so on no, I think if, if there should be like any globalized effort in encountering a pandemic, it will be that there there is this kind of, uh, yeah, just this kind of way of uh, of tackling the problem when it starts. So instead of covering up the, the fact that a pandemic is running loose, just tackle it mm -hmm. right, right when it starts. Uh, maybe that's that could be, uh, you know, like a global standard. Uh, but then, trust me, I think. If if you would see something happening in the future, like it, it started to happening now, like an uh, an epidemic, I think it's mm. called <laughs> uh, in China, man, countries will go crazy. They'll be like this prepared, you know, like they will be just everybody will be on their on their on their toes, ready to act, and you just won't see what happened in Europe, for example. Everybody mm. was relaxed. Things were going already in three months, even, for example, if you look at the rhetoric of doc, uh, of Donald Trump, mm -hmm. you'll see that he was very supportive at the, uh, at the start of this uh, 
epidemic episode in, in, in China and they were saying, yeah, Xi Jinping is doing an incredible job, blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, it's, it's, it's the complete opposite. And mm-hmm. I think countries will be just, you know, on alert as soon as an episode on whatever country, because I think the way you're producing uh, uh, animals, you know, having mm-hmm. this huge um, uh, areas of compact, uh, animals in in small spaces it's it's you know that's the reason we give them antibiotics so it can mm-hmm. happen in china it did happen in china though uh, uh, in in 2003 and now uh, but it can happen anywhere uh, it can mm-hmm. also happen in europe and in america so i think people uh, countries will be just on high alert as soon as an episode starts that will have the risk of becoming a, p- a pandemic that's that's i think i think that will happen in the future I hope that we'll be able to carry this conversation through the next pandemic uh, and perhaps tally up tally up the score of, uh, of the next one. But I want to thank you guys uh, for joining me here and uh, for providing me your perspectives. They were certainly, certainly we have a lot collectively left to learn from this lesson in total. But I think that uh, I think that the directions that you've brought up are all certainly possible and are likely to all be experienced uh, in some mixture here throughout Europe and throughout the world. So, like I said, I'm, I'm glad you guys were here to join me, and I uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having Steve. us, man. 